All right, if you would take your Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter number two, Daniel chapter number two, and uh, let's uh, read verses 24 down to verse number 49. So a larger passage we'll be dealing with, and there's a section of this we'll especially be focusing in on, uh, but I do want to read, again, all the verses here for the sake of context. Uh, So let's pick up here in verse number 24 of chapter number 2. And the Bible says, Then Daniel went in unto Arioch, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah... That will make known unto the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen, and the interpretation thereof? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets. And maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar that what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, the secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any other living. But for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king. And that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet, that were of iron and clay, and break them to pieces. Then was the iron and the clay and the brass, the silver and the gold, broken broken to pieces together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, and that that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain, and filled the whole earth. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, For the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field, and the fowls of the heaven, hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces, and subdueth all things. And as iron uh, that breaketh all these shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. But there shall be in it of the strength of iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, 
but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these, these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof short. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face, and worshipped Daniel, and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. The king answered unto Daniel, and said, Of a truth it is, that your God is a God of gods, and a Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldest reveal this secret. Then the king made Daniel a great man, and gave him many great gifts, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and the chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. Then Daniel requested of the king, and he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, and we pray for your blessing. And Lord, just a guidance as we just open up your word once again. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to be clear in my thoughts and in my words, Lord, as I teach and as I preach this afternoon. Lord, help me to say what you'd have me to say, God. And just to glorify your name, I pray, God, you would use this to inform us, to teach us. And Lord, just to, uh, Lord, give us a, a greater understanding of who you are, Lord, and just the great and, and mighty God, Lord, that you are. And Lord, I pray, God, you would receive all glory, praise, and honor in this sermon. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we are going to be looking at this latter half of chapter number two in the book of Daniel. And this is really one of the most fascinating chapters um, in the book of Daniel and even in the Old Testament. Uh, one of the most important chapters dealing with prophetic history um, as Daniel tells in advance Gentile history uh, before it even happened. Uh, again, from the time of Babylon to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, last week we, we set the context for the interpretation of the dream that Daniel gives here. And we saw that King Nebuchadnezzar was having this troubling dream. His, his spirit was troubled. His sleep break from him. Again, he couldn't sleep at night because of this reoccurring dream that he had. He called in his wise men, uh, quote-unquote wise men, the astrologers, the, the, the magicians, the Chaldeans, to tell him his dream. Uh, but again, they were uh, they were stumped. Again, they couldn't tell the dream. The, the the king was asking for the dream and the interpretation, and these wise men of Babylon made it clear that this was an impossible demand of the king. They said, "There's no king that has ever that has ever made such as such a request as you, King Nebuchadnezzar. What you're asking is unreasonable and impossible." Well, King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, again, being the man that he was, flew into a fit of rage. He didn't like that answer. And he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon, including, uh, this would include Daniel and his friends. Well, king Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, went out to, uh, went out to uh, execute the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made an appeal. And Daniel appealed to, king, or to uh, the captain of the guard, Arioch, and appealed and said that he would interpret the dream. I'll consider Daniel's position in this. Again, Daniel doesn't know the dream, uh, at least at this point. You know, at least uh, from what we, you know, where before we got to God answering his prayer, Daniel didn't know the dream. Daniel didn't know the interpretation of the dream. 
Uh, Daniel knew that if he was going to know the dream, that God would have to be the one to reveal this dream unto him. So Daniel prayed with his friends. Uh, They pleaded to God for, for mercies from heaven, and God graciously intervened. God revealed the dream to Daniel. And the interpretation that brings us to our passage today where Daniel uh, comes into the presence of the king in order to reveal uh, the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar's uh, dream was more than just a common dream. This this was a revelation from God. God was actually revealing a a great prophetic truth to a pagan king. Uh, God gave... Uh, Daniel, the interpretation, the understanding of the dream, and God gave through this dream a picture of what laid ahead in the future. History in advance, a time period that Jesus referred in the Gospel of Luke to the times of the Gentiles. From the time of the Babylonian Empire uh, to the Medo-Persian Empire to the Grecian Empire to the Roman Empire to the revived Roman Empire and ultimately to the second coming of Christ and his kingdom that he will establish upon this earth. And this prophecy here gives us a foundational understanding of Bible prophecy and also it's, it's really a key that unlocks our understanding of the course of this age, what is behind us and what is ahead of us. Um, A lot of fascinating truth before us. So let's begin at verses 24 down to verses 35. And we see, first of all, the telling of the dream, beginning with Daniel's entrance into the king's court. Verse 25, the Bible says, verse 24, actually, Then Daniel went in unto Arioch, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king. And I will show unto the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. Uh, and that brings us to the end of verse number 25. Now something just real quick. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on uh, again these verses or the latter verses. I mainly want to focus in on the dream itself. Uh, But I think something that is interesting is that if you notice the wording of the captain of the king's guard, Arioch, he tries to take some credit uh, again for this. And maybe you caught that when I was reading that. Uh, He brings in Daniel and says unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. All right. So he tried to maybe that could uh, bump him up up and rank a little bit. Maybe that could. Uh, again, give him a little bit more favor with the king. But again, he says, again, ah, look what I found. Again, I have found this man. Actually, it was God who orchestrated this and God who brought Daniel in his path and God who, who gave Daniel the meaning of this dream. But Arioch is really a picture of the natural man, uh, the natural man who takes credit for the blessings that God has given him rather than giving God the glory and the praise that he alone uh, deserves. Uh, it's, it's, it's like a farmer, you know, who, uh, who goes out to his fields and you know, looks at all the abundance of his crops and, and says, look at the work of my hands. Look at what I've done without ever stopping to give things to God for the rain that he sent or giving things to God, uh, bringing the miracle of life and the, the germination of, of the seed that even caused the seed to grow up and become uh, whatever is in the field. Uh, but we see Daniel, on the other hand, Daniel exalted the Lord, Daniel's exaltation of God. 
Uh, take a look at verse 26 down to verse 30. The Bible says, The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen, and the interpretation thereof? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the, which the king hath demanded, cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers, show unto the king? All right, so Daniel made it clear. This is a dream, again, that, that no man can answer. Right? This, this is a dream that is impossible with men to understand. But take a look at the next verse. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. And then he goes into verse uh, 29, verse 30. I'm going to read these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, the secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living. But for their sakes, that shall make known the interpretation of the king, that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. So Daniel has just been given divine revelation from God. You know, Daniel has been given a, a divine privilege to be able to uh, you know, have the meaning of the dream revealed to him. And it would have been easy for Daniel to try to take at least a little bit of credit you know, for knowing the dream, for understanding the dream. Yet Daniel realized that no man could interpret such a dream. He made that clear. The wise men couldn't do it. Uh, even Daniel, in and of himself, you know, couldn't interpret uh, the dream. But there is a God in heaven, Daniel said. He is the one that revealeth secrets. Right, Daniel, unlike Arioch, wasn't interested in exalting himself. You see, Daniel was a humble man. Daniel realized that he couldn't take any credit uh, for this dream that he now understood. He recognized that it wasn't because of anything in himself. He even said that in verse uh, 30, he says, The secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living. Daniel says, again, it's, it's not because of any inherent wisdom that I have more than anybody else that I understand this dream and that I know this dream. We see Daniel as a man of God. We see Daniel as a humble man. And he is a man who isn't going to seal credit and seal glory from God. He is going to give all the give all the glory to God, give all the credit to God, because God alone is the one who who did such a thing. God is the one who revealed this dream. Now, Daniel goes on in verses 31 to 35 to explain the dream, the explanation of the dream. So before interpreting the dream, Daniel takes time to explain the contents of the king's dream. Uh, take a look at verse 31. It says, Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image, this great image whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. All right, so he explains what you saw in your dream was a great image, or you could say a great statue. Uh, the brightness of it was was excellent, and it was terrible. Right? It was a terrifying thing to behold for a man like Nebuchadnezzar, who ruled the known world of his day. Again, this was a frightening scene for him. This is a frightening thing for him to behold. This giant, uh, majestic, this 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 uh, statue with this sh made of this shining and bright metal, and we find that the statue was made up of different materials 
Daniel goes on, he says, first of all, this image head, image's head was of fine gold. All right, so the head of the image is of gold. He goes on, he says, uh, his breast and his arms of silver. All right, so we see the breast and arms of silver on the statue. We continue on, we see the belly and thighs were of brass. We see that in verse number 32. And then we also see in verse number 33, his legs of iron. But not only that, also notice his feet, part iron and part clay. All right, so you have this, this massive image, this massive statue with a golden head, uh, silver chest and arms, a brass, uh, brass belly and thigh, uh, iron legs, and then the feet part iron and part clay. But verses uh, 34 down to verses 35 speak of the fact that there is a stone cut without hands that comes down and smites the image. If you take a look at verse 34 and 35, it says, Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. All right, so this great stone comes, it, it strikes at the feet of the statue, and the, things, and the thing came, uh, comes crumbling down. Take a look at verse number 35. It says, Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together. All right, so the whole thing came crashing down. Verse 35 says, It became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away. That no place was found for them, and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. All right, so you may be wondering what in the world, uh, again, does this have to do with anything? You have this giant statue made up of different kinds of metal from the top of the head down to the sole of the feet. Here comes this stone. It strikes at the feet. The whole image comes crumbling down. Uh, it is broken in pieces. The pieces are carried away like chaff uh, on, the, on the summer threshing floors. And then not only that, this stone becomes a great mountain and fills the earth. All right, so what in the world? You know, Nebuchadnezzar is probably wondering, what in the world does this dream mean? A very unique dream, a very intriguing dream. But what is the meaning of this dream? In verses 36 down to verse uh, 49, we have the revealing of the dream. The revealing of the dream. And I have a handout. Um, if I could... There you go. Yep. If you're going to hand those out, there should be plenty for everyone. And I would encourage you to hold on to this. Uh, not only for chapter 2, but this is also... Applies to chapter 7 and chapters 9 through 12. So this is really just a good thing to maybe just stick in your Bible and uh, hold on to as we go through the series. Because we'll be coming back to this, uh, not just today. We're not even going to talk about the whole thing today. We're just going to talk about a little bit of it today. And then in chapter 7, 8, 9 through 12, we'll be talking about uh, some of the other parts of this prophetic timeline right here. So verse number 36, the Bible says, This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. So you have the telling of the dream, 
And now you have the interpretation or the revealing of the dream. Now, before we get into the interpretation of the dream, I want you, I want you to take note of a couple of things. The first thing is that there is a correlation between Daniel 2 and Daniel 7. There is a very close correlation. There are details that are revealed later in Daniel, Daniel 7, Daniel 8, um, some of the other passages in Daniel um, that are not revealed in Daniel chapter number 2. So again, I'll be giving some information in, in, uh, in the interpretation that you may wonder, where is that? Uh, some of it's in Daniel 7, and some of it is in other chapters of the book of Daniel. So very close correlation between Daniel 2 and Daniel 7. Uh, the second thing I want you to take note of is that this dream gives an overview of Gentile world powers, the eventual destruction of those powers, and the establishment of Christ's kingdom. So keep that in mind. That is what this dream is all about. It is an overview of the times of the Gentiles, from Babylon uh, to the rise of Antichrist, and then after that, Christ coming and establishing his kingdom. So you have a succession of Gentile world powers. You have Christ coming in, destroying those powers, and Christ establishing his kingdom upon this earth. And then the third thing I want you to take note of is that this image is made up of different types of material that become increasingly inferior as you go down from head to the feet. You go from gold uh, to iron and clay. All right. So again, something that is much more superior in quality uh, to something that is much more inferior and even weaker um, also. So and that's your chart. You can hold on to that, and we'll come back to this and make some make some comments about that. Uh, but let's go ahead and let's start working our way through this interpretation, this uh, statue here, and what all the things mean in this statue. And the first thing we want to consider is uh, the head of gold, which represents uh, the Babylonian Empire. All right, so the head of gold that represents the Babylonian Empire. Take a look at verses 37 and 38. The Bible says. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field, and the fowls of heaven hath he given to thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. All right, so Nebuchadnezzar, the one who ruled over the Babylonian empire, Daniel says, you are the head of gold. All right, so Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian Empire, under his rule, under his reign, the power and the majesty and the glory of the Babylonian kingdom had been given by God uh, to King Nebuchadnezzar. God is the one that raises up kings, and God is the one that brings down kings, as we have seen in other passages. So we see this is King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian, the Babylonian Empire, a, a mighty empire, a massive empire. And an empire that historically was characterized by gold. I'll share one quote with you uh, from one commentator. And he says, Herodotus, that's a Greek historian, visited Babylon about 90 years after the era of Nebuchadnezzar. And in his history, he says that he never saw in the earth such abundance and proliferation of gold as he saw in Babylon. All right. So it was the gold kingdom. Ruled by Nebuchadnezzar, a great and mighty and powerful kingdom. Let's continue to the second kingdom. And the second kingdom is the chest and arms of silver, which represent the Medo-Persian 
Empire. Take a look at verse 39. And again, if you don't look closely, you may miss it. It says, and after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to these. That's, that's all it says about the Medo-Persian Empire, at least here in Daniel chapter number 2. So Daniel deal, deals very briefly with the second kingdom, the Medo-Persian Empire, and the third kingdom, the Grecian Empire. He doesn't say much about them here in Daniel chapter number 2. But if you compare uh, this scripture with other scriptures in the book of Daniel— uh, Daniel 7, Daniel 8, it sheds much more light on the identity of these kingdoms here. For example, I'll give you um, in Daniel chapter number 5, verse number 28, God told Boshazar that his kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. All right, So it is a succession of great Gentile world powers. You had the Babylonians. Again, they had their day of power, but they were conquered by the Persian Empire, by the Medo-Persian Empire. Um, in Daniel chapter 8, verse 20, this second kingdom is described as a ram. And it says, The ram which thou sawest, having two horns, are the kings of Media and Persia. Uh, the fact that uh, you have two arms as representing this empire is very likely uh, because it was a dual kingdom, because it was made up of two people groups, the Medes and uh, the Persians. And uh, just as the Babylonian Empire was characterized by gold, so the Medo-Persian Empire was characterized by silver. Share a quote with you. This commentator says the Medo-Persian kingdom developed a vast system of taxation, and those taxes were paid in silver. Because of this arrangement, Medo-Persian kings gathered together vast hordes of silver money. Now, something else I want to point out is the fact that it says in verse 39 – uh, that this kingdom would be inferior to the Babylonian kingdom. All right, and history confirms that. All right, that the Medo-Persian Empire may have been uh, again the, the same size or larger, but it did lack in the organizational power and the organizational structure and the power of the Babylonian Empire. Um, so it was inferior to the first kingdom uh, that we talked about. Let's continue on. We see that there is a third kingdom. And this is seen in the belly and thighs of brass, and this represents the Grecian Empire, verse 39. Now keep in mind, again, as we're going through these, that except for the Babylonian Empire, these other kingdoms are, are still in the future. From Again, from Daniel's perspective, from when Daniel is, is giving this interpretation to the king, um, the Medo-Persian Empire is still in the future. The Grecian Empire is still in the future, again, at least uh, again, in all their might and all their power, the Roman Empire is still in the future um, in all of its might and power. Uh, so Daniel is giving us a history lesson or giving Nebuchadnezzar a history lesson in advance. Um, only God, you know, only God could do such a thing. Now, Daniel chapter number eight. Actually, let me read the verse 39. First of all, the latter part of verse 39 in Daniel two says, and another third kingdom of brass which shall bear rule over all the earth. Now, Daniel 2 doesn't say the name of this kingdom, but if you go to Daniel chapter 8, then you find that this is the Grecian Empire. Daniel 8.21 says, And the rough goat is the king of Grecia, and the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. All right, so Daniel 8 speaks of uh, the Grecian Empire as... As a, as a goat, led by its first king or led by Alexander the Great, it would come against the ram 
um, against the Medo-Persian Empire, and the goat would destroy the ram. Uh, the, the Grecian Empire would destroy the Medo-Persian Empire. And the Grecian symbol uh, was, was brass. It was characterized by brass. I'll give you a quote here. Commentator, one commentator says, When you saw a Greek soldier, he would have on his head a helmet of brass, and on his body a breastplate of brass, and before him he would be carrying a shield of brass and a sword of brass. Classic writers of ancient days will refer to the brazen-coated Greeks. All right, So it, it, it's fitting that this portion of the statue was made of of, of brass, which is was a symbol of the Grecian Empire. Let's move on to the fourth kingdom, and uh, the fourth kingdom has two parts, and we'll take a look at both of these. First of all, you have the legs of iron, and then secondly, you have feet of iron mixed with clay. And you really have two kingdoms here, two two I should say two phases to one kingdom. You have the Roman Empire and all of its power. And then you have the revived Roman Empire, the latter days kingdom, the latter the latter days phase of the Roman Empire uh, that is made up of modern European nations that give their power to the Antichrist, whose rule and reign is short lived because Christ comes and he crushes uh, this this uh, this the second phase of this fourth kingdom. Take a look at verses 40 down to verse 43. The Bible says, And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces, and subdueth all things. And as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. But there shall be in it of the strength of iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay... So the kingdom shall be partly broken, and uh, are partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. Now Daniel gives more attention to the fourth kingdom than he does to the other the first three kingdoms combined. And I think there's a reason for this. I, I believe that the reason for this is because this kingdom plays a significant uh, role, not just in history, but also in prophecy uh, that is yet to be fulfilled. And most Bible teachers would uh, conclude that this fourth kingdom here is the Roman Empire. Uh, Daniel doesn't name it in here in Daniel chapter number two, but I believe we can confidently say uh, that is that it is the Roman Empire for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, because of the succession of major Gentile world powers, uh, beginning with the Babylonians. The Babylonians were conquered by the Medo-Persians. The Medo-Persians were conquered by the Greeks. The Greeks were conquered by the Romans, and the Romans were a, a huge power. They were a mighty power. They ruled over many lands and over many peoples. Um, so they would have been the next in line. So just because of the, you look at the succession historically of major Gentile world powers, and it would make sense that this is the Roman Empire. I think another reason that we can confidently say this is the Roman Empire is because of the description of this kingdom. Uh, Daniel describes it as being strong as iron and that it breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things. Uh, something you notice about the Roman Empire when you study its history is that it was a strong empire. It was an empire that crushed its enemies. Again, it was a it was a again, it, it was 
just as it was described here, again, it, it, it broke in pieces other nations. This subdued other nations. Okay, Rome was severe. Rome treated her enemies severely. Rome crushed her enemies. She stamped out her enemies. Rome was a mighty and strong empire. Now let's uh, we're going to be looking. Let's first of all just focus in on uh, the legs of iron. And notice there's uh, there's two legs, and I believe that this represents the division of the Roman Empire that happened in AD 395. You had the Roman Empire that split into the Western Roman Empire. Uh, with its capital in Rome, and then you had it also split into the Eastern Roman Empire with its capital in Constantinople, uh, which is modern-day Istanbul. Uh, so just like the Medo-Persians had two two arms, uh, so Rome has two legs. I believe representing the two or the split of the Roman Empire into two divisions. Uh, and I also would say that the Iron Legs represent the first phase of the Roman Empire. Uh, that is now history. I mean, we look back and we study as a historical fact of the past uh, the Roman Empire. Uh, so again, that's behind us. That is history. But notice that there is a second phase to the Roman Empire. There is a second part to the Roman Empire, and that is the feet that are mixed with iron and with clay. Take a look at verse 41. The Bible says, And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. As you study Rome's history, you find that it became increasingly weak and increasingly divided. And that's even seen in the material of the statue. From legs of strong iron to feet that are mixed with iron and clay. And according to the image, the fourth kingdom continues until the reign of Christ. Remember, the stone uh, represents the reign of Christ. And the legs go to the feet. Again, the feet, again, we, we see go till the time of the Lord Jesus Christ and his second coming. So from this, we understand there are two parts of the fourth kingdom. Uh, there is the first phase represented by the legs. Again, uh, this along with the first three kingdoms are in the past. They are history. Uh, they are things we read about, uh, people we read about in history books. But there is a second phase to the Roman Empire, and that is the revived Roman Empire. And that is still, again, at least the, the full culmination of it is still in the future. Let me share a quote with you from uh, David Cloud's commentary on Daniel. He says, and I quote, he says, In God's eyes, the Roman Empire continues to exist until the time of the Antichrist. The church age is invisible to the Old Testament prophets as it was a mystery in the, in the New Testament, or as it was a mystery meaning something that is revealed in the New Testament that was hidden in the Old Testament times. The Roman Empire continued in the West until A.D. 476. It then existed in the West as the kingdom of the Franks and the Holy Roman Empire, which continued until 1806 when it was dismantled by Napoleon. The Roman Empire existed in the east as the Byzantine Empire, headquartered in Constantinople, which continued until the city was conquered by the Muslims in 1453. The Roman Empire continues to exist in the unified European nations. So you have to understand there's two phases to the Roman Empire. The first phase represented by the legs of iron. The second phase represented by the feet mixed with iron and clay. 
this this uh, second phase of the of the Roman Empire is, you could say, a revived Roman Empire. It is a latter days kingdom. It is, as we'll see as we study more of the book of Daniel, it is a, again, it is a group of, of ten kingdoms or ten, ten kings who give their power to the Antichrist, whose reign is short-lived, and eventually whom Christ comes in and Christ overtakes. Now, there's always been speculation about uh, what this revived Roman Empire is. And some people think, well, it's uh, maybe it's, I'm sure back in the day, they thought it was the United Nations. Uh, whereas nowadays, many people would say, well, it's probably um, something like, if not the European Union, which formed in the year 1993. Uh, many Bible prophecy teachers, uh, again, would would say that the European Union uh, could, again, could be a forerunner of the revived Roman Empire. Something that's interesting is when you look at the sim- symbology or look at the symbols of the EU, uh, again, it makes you makes you think. It makes you wonder, you know, if this could be uh, exactly what we're describing uh, this afternoon, a revived form of the Roman Empire. One of the EU symbols is the Tower of Babel, and they're not hiding that. Again, this was a promotional poster put out. Uh, says Europe, many tongues, one voice, and then it has a picture of. A partially constructed tower of Babel. All right, so that's going back to whenever the EU began. Um, something else that is interesting um, is the EU headquarters in Strasbourg, France, is shaped like an unfinished tower. Okay, makes you wonder, you know, if they were trying to make it look like an unfinished tower of of Babel. Uh, so many people believe, many Bible prophecy teachers believe that. Uh, the European Union could be a forerunner to whatever whatever this looks like. Again, it's just speculation. You know, whatever this looks like, we don't know. Uh, but could the EU be a forerunner to the revived Roman Empire? For sure. I think right now it has like 27 nations, uh, but it still could be uh, again a forerunner to what is going to exist and be under the power of the Antichrist. Let me share another quote with you. This is from... David Cloud, he says, we don't know if the existing European Union will play any role in the rise of the Antichrist, but we do know that some sort of European Union will. The ten toes of Daniel's prophecy signify that eventually there will be ten kingdoms within the old Roman Empire. And the Antichrist will assume control and use that base to build his short-lived world kingdom. All right, so we do know, again, yes, there will be some sort of European Union. All right, is it the European Union we have today? Again, it's, it's only speculation to say whether it is or whether it isn't. Uh, but there is going to be some form of a European Union, uh, ten nations coming together. We'll talk about that more representing the ten toes of the image. Daniel deals with that more later on in the book, so we'll save that for then. But uh, these nations give their power to the Antichrist. Let's continue on and let's talk about the most important kingdom, and that is the final kingdom that is mentioned here, the fifth kingdom, and that is the stone, we can call it the stone kingdom, uh, the stone cut without hands, the kingdom of God. Uh, take a look at verses 44 down to verse 45. The Bible says, And in the days of these kings uh, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. 
For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. So Daniel brings us, again, to the end times. He brings us to the latter days. When there will be a revived Roman Empire, there will be, uh, again, ten uh, European nations, ten European presidents or kings that will give their power to the Antichrist. Uh, The kingdom of the Antichrist will be a very uh, short-lived kingdom. And Daniel makes it clear that the reason for this is because Jesus is coming back. Uh, Whenever the Antichrist, again, uh, again comes, uh, ascends to power, you know the time is short. And the time is short. Uh, before Jesus comes back, in just a matter of years, before Jesus establishes his rule and reign upon earth. Jesus is going to set up a kingdom that will destroy, that will break in pieces, the kingdoms of men. So the times of the Gentiles will culminate in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 11.15 anticipates this day, and it says, And the seventh angel sounded... And there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So we're speaking here of the second coming of Christ. And that is that is separate from the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church happens before uh, the seven-year tribulation. Again, the church is out of here. God turns his attention back to Israel again. Um, Again, that is when Israel is, first of all, deceived by the Antichrist. But then after that, uh, again, there is a mass conversion of the Jews to Christ. And at the end of the seven-year tribulation, Christ comes back. And that's that's explained to us here in Daniel 2.44, which says that the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it shall stand Forever, So you have this stone, okay? this stone that is cut out of the mountain. It is of divine origin. It is of supernatural origin. And it smites the statue, smites the feet of the statue. And the statue comes crumbling down. You know, and we long for that day as believers, when as John said in Revelation, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. In God's kingdom, the physical aspect of his kingdom is still future. The church doesn't bring in the kingdom. Again, we we are not building the kingdom. Again, we're not going to Christianize the world and, again, bring in the kingdom. Again, actually, the Bible makes it clear that the world will grow worse and worse. Uh, Again, there will be a great apostasy uh, before the return, before the rapture of the church, before the return of Jesus Christ. Uh, But the day will come whenever Jesus and will come, he will rapture his church. And until then, you know what our job is? Our job is to preach the gospel. Our job is to make disciples of all nations. Our job is to fulfill the great commission and be ready always. Recognizing that in the hour you think not, can he will come. And in the hour you think not, again, Jesus will come again. There's, there's a sense of imminency to his, uh, to his second coming or to the rapture. Uh, again, we don't know when he's coming, but we await that day and we are called to be ready for that day when Jesus Christ returns again. And the day is coming when Jesus will come again. And as we sang earlier, he will reign from shore to shore. 
A couple of things in closing I want to point out. Uh, take a look at verses, let's uh, keep that right there, verses 46 to 49. It says, And the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of lords, or a Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal the secret. Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. Then Daniel requested of the king and he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. All right, so we see here Nebuchadnezzar recognizes that Daniel's God is a God of gods. All right. He again, Nebuchadnezzar is not yet, uh, if you want to use the word, uh, converted. He is not, you know, a, a, a true worshiper of, of Jehovah God yet, uh, but he's getting closer. He recognizes that Daniel's God is, you know, is, is a a God of gods. You know, he's 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 a great God. He can he's a God who reveals uh, secrets. And then we see the promotion of Daniel. Daniel becomes. Uh, elevated, he becomes promoted within the king's court, and so do Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we'll talk more about that next week when we get into chapter number three. But what I want to point out in closing is it's always neat how, uh, again, how the Lord brings different sermons together. Again, I didn't plan it this way, but it's just how uh, the timing of the passages we're in just all came together. And you can see the, the harmony of God's word. Uh, going back to what we talked about this morning, Jesus Christ came the first time, and he was a stumbling stone uh, to the Jews. The Jews stumbled over him, um, and many people today stumble over Christ. I mean, it wasn't just the Jews, but many people today stumble over Christ. Um, but we also saw that Jesus set aside the Jews. He is building his church, and he is the cornerstone of the church. During this church age, God is building his church. That is his primary focus. That is his primary aim, and we get to be a part of it. And that's an incredible privilege that, that we have to be a part of this, this church building where Jesus is the cornerstone of his church. But Jesus is coming again, and Jesus is coming back as the smiting stone of the nations. He is coming back as the stone that smites the image representing the Gentile world powers. Again, and he will crush and he will destroy uh, the world powers, and he will establish his kingdom which will be a forever kingdom. And you'll have that millennial reign of Christ, which goes into the eternal reign of Christ after that. So you see uh, Christ as a stone in the word of God. He's a stumbling stone. He's the cornerstone of the church. And he's the smiting stone of the nations. And again, that is the hope of the Christian. That is the hope of the believer. And we echo the words of John in Revelation 22:20. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And God, we just thank you for the time you've given us in your word. And Lord, as we see your hand in world history, Lord, we recognize that truly, uh, Lord, it is your story being played, on, played out on the pages of human history. And Lord, we see that you're in control of the rise and fall of nations and the rise of kings and the setting down of kings. And Lord, we see the uh, accuracy of the word and, and the prophecies given to Daniel, Lord, of history given uh, far in advance. And, Lord, I do pray, God, that, Lord, as we await the coming of, uh, Lord, your, your final kingdom, the fullness of your kingdom, God, I pray, Lord, that we would uh, be busy about the work you called us to do. I pray that we would, uh, Lord, just be busy about preaching the gospel. 
uh, fulfilling the Great Commission, making disciples of Jesus Christ. Lord God, I, I pray, Lord, that you would bless us now, God, as we go our way. Lord, thank you again for the time you've given us in your house. And I pray this in Jesus' name.